0: Oh, we are live. Oh, well, the thing, it said James had popped up into another place, and it covered up the live button, and I had no idea we were live. (laughs) We are. There we go. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. You know how we like to start things off. Always uh, blaming me, Scotty. I know. uh, Poor James. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome tonight to the uh, May the 3rd edition of the Carolina Weather Group. This is actually our 180th show. And uh, we're very happy to have you guys with us tonight as we uh, talk with Nick Univer- Univeri. I know I just messed that up too. Uh, as we talk about weather photography, so uh, welcome to the show tonight, Nick. We look forward to uh, getting to know you a little bit and uh, about your products. So uh, before we do that, this is a live broadcast, so if you have any questions tonight for Nick, please feel free to uh, submit those to us via Twitter, Carolina WX Group. Or you can submit those on our Facebook page, and the event page will be monitoring both of those uh, throughout the show tonight. So if you have any questions for Nick or any of the other uh, panelists, please uh, submit those, and we'll get to those. Uh, If you are listening on the rebroadcast, uh, we'll let Nick share his uh, social media uh, pages and his website uh, towards the end of the show, and that way you can uh, connect with Nick that way. So again, uh, talking about weather photography tonight, so... No, actually in storm season, uh, so this is a, a great way to have an idea of what to do if you're an amateur uh, as we are uh, in storm season. I'm here in airplanes. I'm really just thrown off tonight. So, <laughs> uh, Anyways, uh, let's go down to Charleston, South Carolina. Shade, please save us before this goes downhill any further. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Glad to, Scotty. Yeah, we've. Uh, I tell you, we've had a beautiful day today, absolutely gorgeous out there, just low to mid-80s for highs. Uh, we had a, a pretty significant storm front move through the other night. A couple of trees down, nothing too severe, no hail reported, but there were some strong winds here and there and uh, lots of lightning. So it looks like most of the miles verified for that. I think the H, the Her 3 kilometer, maybe the NAM 3, they both kind of verified on it, although the, the NAM 3 gets a little bit more aggressive and, and does is doing better these days. So I'm starting to look at that one along with the rpm and the uh, the her 3 for our severe storm lines now that our sea surface temperatures have warmed up to the upper 70s uh the marine layering and the the uh destabilization of storms isn't so much of a factor anymore uh, because those cooler shelf waters are not really fizzling out the storms as much as they used to so uh with that said we do have another system on the way let me know when you can see this this is um increasingly a go-to model for me uh, it's not always exact but it is the Nam three Kilometer. This sort of shows the next 60 hours as an upper low comes together and tracks up to the northeast but you see a really severe storm line moving across the southeast region and up across the mid-atlantic into the northeast and uh, that's gonna be something to watch over the next day or two I think starting tomorrow night and into Friday morning is when that is expected to start sort of pulsing towards the coastline it may come in two waves, more as a more of a prefrontal uh, storm line in the afternoon and then another hard one at nighttime. so that's gonna be something to watch for but behind this uh we're entering with into what's called an omega block and um it's kind of a technical term but what it really means is that there's gonna be cool air being pulled down from the north behind this low and it's going to cool things down to very very refreshing temperatures. so we're looking at uh, low to mid 70s throughout most of the weekend and highs dropping down to the low 50s. So we really looking forward to turning the AC off. We did have the warmest April on record. Let me see if I can find that. Share that screen just briefly. I don't want to get too much into the Charleston weather, but you can see here some of the um, temperatures here for... This was, the, it was considered the warmest April on record for the Charleston International Airport. And that was an average temperature of combined temperature of 70.1 degrees, so that beat the old one by What, what is that about? It's 0.6 degrees. Uh, Savannah International also broke their record by 1.6 degrees, or I'm sorry, 0.4, uh, and then downtown Charleston got a second warmest, just shy of the record there from 2002. So, uh, you know, it, it may not have felt like it. For many but it was the warmest uh april on record pretty much for the charleston forecast zone for the national weather service so it's kind of significant and i think that's going to do it for our weather oh portuguese man awards if you guys are watching in the southeast region along the coast uh they have been drifting up from the south i heard word of it from jekyll island a few days ago then they spread into tybee island from some of the wind and water sportsmen out there kite surfers and sailors seeing them out and about and now they have showed they've shown up in charleston and people are starting to take pictures of them. So if you go into the waters, even if you're wading into the waters, be very uh, cautious about your surroundings and, and keep an eye out for those little blue bonnets floating across the top of the water because their tentacles can trail up to about 6 to 8 feet. You don't want to get wrapped in them. Back wow. to you, Scotty.
0: Wow. 6 to 8 feet. I you know, learned something really, new tonight.
1: they get really, really long in the deep Pacific where these Man of Wars can get up to about 2 feet almost. You know, they get really, really big over there. And their tentacles, uh, I'm not sure how much, how true this is, but I remember reading some stuff when I was little about tentacles trailing as long as 100 yards. So the big, the really big man wars have, have trailing tentacles that go on for, I mean, dozens of feet at least for some of the bigger ones in the Pacific. We don't have to worry about that here. They're usually pretty small, three to six feet. Worth the tentacles. so But they pack a punch and they will hurt you. And if you're allergic, you'll have to go to the emergency room. So we want to stay away from those and tell people to be on the, on the alert for
0: them. Wow. Very interesting information from Shay tonight. Thanks, Shay. And uh, talking about the warmest April on record, that was also duplicated in Charlotte, North Carolina. And that's where we found our good buddy, James Briarton, who was not with us last week, but he's back with us this week. James?
2: Yes, I was in New York last week, uh, Scotty, and I'm attempting to find a picture to share with you all uh, to uh, bring you up to speed a little bit on that because it has been fairly warm and fairly lovely here. Uh, But I was in New York visiting family and on business. And if you're watching on uh, Facebook Live or on our Periscope uh, simulcast tonight, uh, there is a picture of uh, mom's flowers blooming outside the house on Long Island. It was a fairly nice week, fairly warm week. Um, although I was kind of reminded about how cloudy and rainy and miserable it can be at times in the Northeast during uh, what is still the early spring months, but I think when we get to Peter in a moment, he's going to tell us all about uh, the lovely aspects of being up at North. Uh, no pollen, and uh, there are some there are some pluses to uh, to that, but. Um, I do also want to let everybody know, as uh, Scotty mentioned, we are live tonight on YouTube, as we always are, and of course our podcast each and every week, but I feel like every week we are trying something a little new out, so uh, we are uh, on Facebook again tonight, our enhanced broadcast on Facebook, Uh, so hello to uh, Meredith and Perry who are watching there, Uh, and also tonight uh, we are simulcasting for the first time on Periscope on Twitter, so... Uh, if you're watching on any of those platforms, hello to you. We'll watch for your comments and questions there as well. Scotty?
0: James has got us covered from A to Z, let me tell you. Uh, I'm
2: out of <laughs> devices now.
0: Those are all my mobile
2: devices.
1: <laughs> and hello to Meredith. That's Meredith Kennedy and Charleston. I grew up in the same neighborhood with her and her and friends with her brothers, Jay and Patrick. So, Meredith, we always appreciate you watching, and I love how uh, avid you are about the weather and, and how plugged in you are, and if you have any questions, just ask.
0: Yes, very much. Thanks for uh, all those who are watching tonight on the various platforms that uh, we're broadcasting on. Let's go up to the northeast a little bit, as uh, James was talking about. It's so nice in uh, Peter's yard or backyard that he's in the backyard tonight. And I actually think I've seen some squirrels up there earlier, and that's why it got me distracted. Yeah, well, there's uh, <laughs> a
3: rabbit eating grass to the left. There's chipmunks running around. There's birds that are probably going to poop on me at any moment. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a great show tonight, uh, but, uh, yeah, it's been kind of miserable around here lately. Uh, we've been nice with temperatures. It's been 70s and 80s, but uh, it's just been cloudy and just blah for the last couple of days. But uh, now we're going to stay cooler uh, into the 60s and 50s into next week, and we're looking at more showers uh, probably on Friday, Saturday, maybe again next week again. So it's going to be a pretty blah week, but... It is finals week for me, though, so uh, I guess that comes with the horrible weather. So, oh well. But uh, yeah, back to you guys.
2: Can, can we speak? not ignore the fact that Scotty said he got distracted by a squirrel? Are you a dog, Scotty? Where
3: was there a squirrel back?
2: It was back in your
0: tree as soon as we started. That's when I said it was all going downhill. I... We
3: had airplanes going by.
0: I mean, yeah. it's, yeah.
3: Just I think
1: like, that was just his ADHD going off. It, squirrel,
0: it <laughs> possibly could have been. It really <laughs> could have been. No joke. Uh, anyway, uh, talking about let's talk about North Carolina weather before we get to Nick. Uh, it has been kind of busy, and Shay, uh, you alluded to the uh, severe weather that could be moving again uh, through again uh, late tomorrow night into Friday morning. Uh, that is a primary concern. I think the SPC has some slight and, uh marginal slight risk out for parts of the Carolinas into Georgia. So uh, that severe weather threat will be uh, taken serious as well as the flood threat. Uh, This uh, system could uh, produce a lot of rain over um, areas that's already been saturated from from the past couple of weeks with five, six inches of rain, and uh, models are showing maybe another one to three inches on top of that. So we could see some flooding concerns as well uh, in the Carolinas. And speaking of severe weather, we had a a storm system move through Monday that actually produced a tornado uh, in Catawba County. So I'm going to quickly share the screen here for just a little bit and kind of let you guys look at some of the photos I was able to capture. This was about 20 miles from my house uh, over in Catawba County. Uh, EF0 with the winds of 85 miles per hour was recorded, uh, almost EF1. I mean, if it had been another mile per hour, it would have been an EF1. But uh, this house right here, uh, the family had just moved into this house about two weeks prior to uh, the tornado happening. So uh, it is now uh, condemned. Uh, they cannot live in it. Several trees um, ha- have fallen on it. So again, uh, the tornado uh, it happened in the uh, town of Newton, uh, Newton, North Carolina, Carolina and an EF zero, uh, almost an EF one. So again, it was kind of uh, uh, a QLCS. It was kind of embedded with a lot of thunderstorms that moved through the area. So uh, really, wasn't detected too much on radar. Uh, we saw one scan of rotation, and then uh, the next scan, it was gone. So. Kind of a a quick uh, hitting tornado but again it uh, created damage in this neighborhood Uh, two homes were deemed uh, unlivable and uh, the families there now have to uh, relocate and uh, hopefully uh, they're being able to do that so uh, severe weather moved through monday with another chance of severe weather uh, here in the Carolinas, uh, late tomorrow night into Friday. So,
1: so, so Scotty, uh, tell us about the history of tornadoes in that area. I mean, when was the last time this happened, and, and how often? Did
0: yeah. This so, happened? so Western North Carolina is not, um, yeah, is not accustomed to a lot of tornadoes. I will say there's been about four or five in the past five years, but in particular to Catawba County, the last tornado that hit the area was October 2010. So. You know, that was six six and a half years ago, that uh, that that particular county ha- had been hit. So, uh, you know, some of the residents that I talked to Monday night said, uh, you know, it was all normal. Uh, they knew a storm was coming in. They looked outdoors; visibility was almost zero with with the wind and the rain. And they heard that that they they compared it to the train whistle that that a lot of people do. But they heard that howling noise and. You know, a minute later, it was all done, so uh, again, uh, you know, fortunately it wasn't a stronger tornado, but again, uh, it did affect people's uh, lives with, with two homes that are now going to have to um, be rebuilt, so. Mm. But yeah, so so that was it. Uh, it was severe thunderstorm warning, so uh, at least there was some type of warning, but, um, you know, the, the rotation was in and out enough that uh, tornado warning wasn't able to be issued, so. Uh, that's what it's been like here in the western part of the state of uh, North Carolina and South Carolina. So let's go up to our guest Nick, who is in Chicago. Nick, sorry about the the long in, uh, intro there, but uh, oh, it's no no problem. We'd like to bring you in, kind of tell us uh, what's going on in the Chicago area, and then um, introduce yourself to our uh, listeners.
4: Sure. Well, Chicago has been pretty gloomy and wet uh, the past few weeks, um, especially the past like really the last week or so. I think uh, pulling up my numbers here. Uh, It was the ninth wettest April on record for the city. We got over 6.4 inches of rain. And it seems like that all happened in the last two weeks. Uh, The beginning of April was a little bit nicer. But we did see a little bit of sun this morning, which was nice. It's been a pretty dreary, like I said, couple weeks. Uh, I think we're going to get a little more rain here uh, this weekend. Uh, Central and Southern Illinois has really been uh, having a time with, uh, rain and flooding and, but hopefully that pattern moves out and, uh, next week we can get some sun because, uh, we all need it up here.
0: Yeah, very, very much so. So Nick, um, we'd like to, uh, we, we brought you on where we're kind of focusing on weather photography tonight. Uh, you are, uh, one of the best photographers out there. So, um, first of all, before we kind of talk about uh, some of your products and, and what got you interested in doing weather photography. Kind of tell us the, the history of you, of, of how you become a photographer.
4: Yeah, so um, really like my weather photography and photography in general all kind of happened around the same time. Um, I've always been a pretty creative person. I took a lot of art classes in school and always liked to draw. And then come college, I, you know, went into you know business school thinking uh, that's what I needed to be successful in life, and um, kind of left the creative world behind. But eventually I stumbled back into it. Um, my dad, he's from Italy, we have family there, and in 2009 we took a family vacation and I agreed to play a uh, family photographer, uh, trains coming by, because I live right by the tracks, so we have trains and airplanes. Um, I played family photographer, and you know, for the, the two weeks we were there, that's uh, I couldn't stop taking photos. And I really fell in love with the medium, it was sort of the, I guess the medium that uh, I never really experimented with, but it just clicked, and ever since, I've been taking photos ever since then, and about a year, year and a half after that, uh, I started my own uh, commercial photography business.
0: And so, tell us how you mean you know weather is 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 a very photogenic uh thing you know we can all take weather uh, or pictures of clouds and storms and stuff like that did you have a prior interest in weather before you got into photography or is this something that you know you got a couple of good shots and like man I could I could really uh market this
4: yeah I think uh like I was saying earlier that photography and weather photography to me kind of happened at the same time. I caught my first bolt of lightning um, on that trip to Italy and it was kind of a, you know, one of those lucky shots where I saw a storm rolling in in the distance and I was just trying to snap off frames to catch a, a bolt of lightning and I did and, and it it was pretty awesome. I was like, you know, that's I should try and do this more often and then as I continued to progress in my photography and continue to take photos of storms, it really gave me an appreciation for weather and the atmosphere and, uh, you know, just really the science behind it and how beautiful it is. I mean, there's so many cool things about weather and taking photos of it, that it, it forced me to learn more about weather and by learning more about weather, it also helped me in my professional photography career because I do a lot of Architectural work, which is all outside. So, uh, you know, getting those picture perfect days where you have these, uh, you know, nice puffy cumulus clouds or sometimes those really high cirrostratus stratus or uh, serocumulus clouds, um, you know, that's something I also hunt for. So, as much as I, I like, love photographing uh, storms, kind of getting those, the perfect light on the perfect sky is also really important to what I do.
0: Very cool. I was uh, trying to unmute my mic there. Uh, so talk to us a little bit about uh, you know where has your your artwork taken you? I mean, where's the photographers? Is there uh, you know are they getting used in in weather forecasting uh, material for colleges or uh, different uh, news stations or anything like that? Buying your photos?
4: Um, yeah, a lot of my I mean, a lot of my weather stuff is mostly for fun. I mean, if you know I can sell prints of it or license it for use, that's great. But really. Um, you know, it's it's mostly shared uh, through news outlets. I, I uh, share a lot of stuff with uh, the local network, WGN, here. Um, they've got really awesome uh, news forecasts. So you guys know Tom Skilling, maybe, probably. Like, he's Tom Skilling's a celebrity here, even to people who don't even really like the weather that much. But uh, he shares my work a lot. Um, the Weather Channel shares my work a lot. So it's always fun to, uh, you know, when you know a storm's coming, to try and, you know, catch something epic to see if you can, you know, share it and get it to go viral because really if you can get more eyes on your work, you know, hopefully, you know, it results in some more business for me. But really, the, like I said, the, the weather stuff's mostly just for fun. And if, if anything good comes of that, that's really icing on the cake because it's about, you know, catching that, that fleeting moment that uh, means the most to me.
1: Now Nick, when you are setting out to to do a shoot, are you're paying attention to the weather, you're you're probably not just listening to forecasters, you might be doing some of your own private sort of investigating on on what's coming. Tell us a little bit about that that process. if it, if I'm a photographer and want to get into it, what kind of things would I be looking for?
4: Um, that's a good question. So um, I guess it's it's kind of important to note that for what I do, i I don't call myself a storm chaser, right? I'm like a storm waiter. Cause most of what I do is focused on getting storm shots in and around the Chicago area. Cause really I want to catch the storm interacting with um, you know, the skyline. I, I don't know enough about chasing storms to even begin to try that because I'd probably strike out every time. Um, and that's really time consuming too, to, you know, it's obviously, you know, people go out for days and weeks at a time and sometimes may not even find anything. And, um, you know, that's something I'm not <laughs> ready to try. Uh, but you know, usually I, I have a an idea that there may be a pretty strong storm system moving in two or three days out. And that's when I start to think and start to wonder, like, where am I going to set up? Where is the general direction of the storm? Um, you know, is it coming out of the Southwest? Is it coming out of the North, the, the Northwest? Is that, that starts to um, help me figure out where I'm going to shoot the storm from because it's one thing to catch a bolt of lightning. Uh, it's another to kind of create a photo where the composition is something that is, um, you know, like a really cool final photo. So yeah, that's like really one of the first things I try and figure out is where is the storm coming from? How strong is it going to be? And then, you know, day of it, it's mostly kind of l- looking at the radar because, Again, like I said, I kind of have a general idea of where I'm going to go. It's, you know, I'm in a, you know, three, four square mile radius. So, um, you know, picking whether or not I have to go to one side of the state or not isn't a problem for me. It's really kind of monitoring radar and making sure that strong is storm enough or making sure this, uh, the storm is strong enough and, you know, something that's going to produce you know, photogenic clouds or lightning or whatever that may be.
2: Nick, I haven't had the pleasure to visit Chicago just yet, but I'm sure some folks listening or watching have. I'm curious, I'm looking at your photos. Uh, You seem very familiar with the city, and I think you were mentioning your planning. Uh, Do you have favorite spots in the city that you go to that you know this is going to be a really good spot for me tonight?
4: Yes, Um, I have a couple. uh, And I mean, the first is uh, the, the Hancock Observatory, 360 Chicago. What's awesome about that is you're a thousand feet in the air so you have this just gorgeous view looking south of the skyline and you know as many of the storms that we have in this area kind of sweep up from the southwest more often than not the storms are coming right at you and uh, that's those are kind of the preferred storms to shoot because you know you're going to be seeing the lightning bolts drop in the distance as opposed to, uh, something coming from behind you. By the time the lightning starts striking, it's already pr- probably already raining, and you know that's not not a, a good recipe for good photos. Um, so that's probably one of my favorites. Uh, you know, there's some other there's some parking garages that I like to use. Uh, you know, heavy duty concrete parking gar- garages that protect me from rain, hail, obviously lightning, uh, because. I want to be safe. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to get hit by lightning or, um, you know, sometimes really strong gusts of wind will, you know, the wind tunnel effect in some of the downtown buildings can be pretty dangerous as well, especially if you have a camera on a tripod, like that could be very easily knocked over if, um, you know, big gust of wind comes over. So there are definitely spots that I would like to shoot from more often, but, it is really a matter of whether or not I think it can be safe. So I prefer to be inside. I'd prefer to be on a friend's balcony or, you know, I've I've met people on, you know, through social media who are happy to share their balcony with me because, um, you know, they like my work and they want to, they want to see a storm photo from their location. And, uh, you know, balconies are some of the best places because they're so close to, uh, you know, a safe inside space, but you can usually get really cool views. So, that's a, but that it, it is a struggle. It is a struggle to find new, interesting, safe vantage points. Cause you know, it's, I don't want to have to call a friend up or an acquaintance up at ten thirty on a Tuesday and say, Hey, there's a storm coming. Can I, you know, borrow your balcony for a few hours? Cause that would be, that would be kind of weird. So it's challenging.
0: And so, Nick, you know Chicago gets all types of weather. Anything between um, vicious winter storms to uh, severe weather, tornado outbreaks. Is there a certain type of weather that you like to focus on more than the other?
4: I mean, th- I think thunderstorms are probably the most fun because those can give you some of the, uh, you know, the most gnarly light and lightning of course you know hitting the buildings is sort of the holy grail that every time there's a big storm it's what I want to try and catch but uh, you know we are really lucky that we have kind of the full the full gamut of weather um, you know the winters are, are really fun to photograph uh, especially when the lake freezes over there's some really interesting um, uh, phenomenon that you can get there particularly when the arctic air comes in a few years ago uh, we had the Arctic sea smoke rising right off the lake in the harbor, and there's this, uh, I mean, it almost looked like a layer of fog hugging the ground, uh, but really it was, you know, ice crystals just suspended in the air, and as they, uh, as you looked off to uh, the east, you can kind of see those rising into the air, and which then formed, you know, really massive uh, lake effect plumes in Michigan. So. Um, it it never gets boring, you know, just when you, just when you're kind of tired of one, one season, the next one kicks in. Uh, But we do have a really beautiful summer and uh, right around September, October is some really gorgeous weather as well. So, you know, the winter storms are great. It's the the thunderstorms are great in the summer. And then uh, we do have a few weeks and months of nice weather, uh, despite what many people think.
0: And Nick, um, you you were talking about this a little bit earlier with, with, the the many outlets that that share your photographs have you been able to uh kind of connect with any of the local meteorologists in in chicago and and you guys kind of you know talk about weather or, or bounce ideas or or you know maybe they've at or maybe you've asked them to go out with you and and film some of this or take photos
4: yeah i mean i'm 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 friends or acquaintances with quite a few um I think uh, Mike Hammernick is probably my my best Twitter weather friend, if you could call that um, call someone that uh, he works with WGN at WGN as well. Um, but he's someone who I ask questions of all the time because like, I I want to learn more. There are times where I photograph you know interesting cloud structures or uh, you know, I've got these. Uh, kind of mesocyclonic clouds wrapped in lightning. And at the time I was like, I have no clue what this is. So, so he's a guy who I've, I I use as a resource to kind of help me learn more about forecasting, um, and planning so that I can get myself in a better position,
1: uh, to get better photos. I think that's fantastic that you, you sort of, uh, you sort of cross educate yourself because you're already learning about photography and you have a lot of Terminology, a lot of uh, equipment to to remember and, and to deal with when you get into weather, boy, it's like it's like a rabbit in the rabbit hole. It never ends. So that's uh it's really good that you you gotten yourself acclimated with that. So I'm really interested to see some of your work, if you wouldn't mind sharing sure. some and just kind of talk about some of the some of your best photos or just any any of the photos in general.
4: Yeah, I'll uh I'll do the screen share and swap my screens and I've got a bunch. And if you see any and want me to I mean, we'll figure it out, but yeah, I'll, uh, I'll share some stuff and we can, uh, we can talk about it, so it's hopefully this uh, this works. Okay, so we're going to go over, can you guys see this?
1: Yep, we got you and you okay, are cool. presenting to everyone, so you're good. Cool.
4: So this photo you're looking at is that first photo of lightning I caught in Italy. Um, it's that little, you know, little stringy one hitting the mountain over there, but you know, I was really fascinated with the clouds and uh, this lightning at the time because I'd never caught it before. And like I said during that trip, but I don't know what it was about—like just picking up a camera and learning about photography—that all of a sudden I appreciated everything I was seeing more than I did before. You know, I feel like I can't remember my life before photography because, for whatever reason, I didn't—I didn't pay attention to <laughs> things around me. Um, but now. Uh, you know, that's something that, you know, is really important to everything I do. So, yeah, this is my first bolt of lightning ever. Um, let's see. This is a, a shelf cloud. So, when you hear it, I don't know if you heard the trains going by. This is what my balcony looks over. This is south, so I don't have a skyline view, um, which makes, makes it doubly challenging for me, because if I do want to get those skyline lightning strikes, I have to go out and find a good safe vantage point Um, some of this stuff on the left here is a lot older but um, let's see this this is actually a pretty cool shot so you know uh, mammoth's clouds are really cool and I I hadn't seen them before uh, maybe I saw them one time before this but at the time I was shooting this storm, uh, this is another one from my balcony. That's where I really practiced a lot before I started venturing out to get the the skyline type photos. As the lightning was striking, I couldn't see the mammoth clouds kind of at that higher altitude uh, under the um, you know storm clouds below. But you know, because there were a few lightning strikes, it was illuminating that whole shield above it and. Again, like I said, I couldn't see it with my eyes at the time, but it wasn't until uh, you know, I got the photos onto my computer and started kind of tweaking with, tweaking them that all of a sudden uh, those mammoth clouds kind of became a lot more apparent.
1: Yeah, Nick, that's, uh, that's actually kind of amazing. I don't think I've ever seen lightning in Mammatis clouding. That's, they're usually more of a benign structure. Yeah. So that, is, uh, that is, wow, that's a first for me. I think, let's see, was this different?
4: that was not the same one. Um, Okay, let's see. So this one is uh, one of my favorite lightning strikes that I've gotten to date. Um, What I think is so cool about it is that it's actually not hitting any of the tallest of Chicago skyscrapers, and it's actually kind of dipping down into the city. Um, What I think is really neat about this one is that that helps add a lot of depth to the scene, uh, the way it's kind of lighting up that little heart area of the city um, just makes this photo seem like it has a lot more, uh, like many more layers to it. Oftentimes, um, when lightning hits, I catch lightning hitting the tower tops, you don't really get that depth. And uh, this is also taken from the observatory at 360 or three hundred and sixty Chicago at the Hancock. So again, I'm 1,000 feet in the air looking down onto the city. So that helps add depth as well. Um, What's really cool about this particular lightning strike is, um, when we zoom in, you know, there's a lot of there's multiple strokes to this one strike, and I have uh, this kind of a uh, uh, turned the exposure way down and tried to recover the highlights. But you can see at least four. I, if you could see three distinct return strokes, although I think there's probably four. Just you know, kind of seeing what the uh, the thicknesses of any one particular bolt and you know what's what's kind of crazy is that when i'm photographing lightning is i never really know what i'm going to get i can have my settings dialed in for uh, what i think is going to be a certain brightness of lightning but each time that lightning pulses and you get that return stroke it kind of doubles the brightness of the bolt so you know what could have been uh you know a, a puny not quite as strong bolt turns into this really powerful bright one because of those return strokes.
1: Wow that's that's incredible. I bet I bet that's that's a pretty hot bolt of lightning there.
2: Yeah. Um and and I think Peter had a question about lightning. Peter, are you back with us?
3: Yeah I'm good. Um so when's it oh wait is Nick here?
1: Oops, I think he may have accidentally uh, clipped himself out. Um, He he probably tried to stop the screen sharing and accidentally clicked out, but I'm sure he'll be back on here shortly. So All he has to do is click the link. He'll be back. So go ahead, Peter. (laughs) What do you want to talk about?
3: (laughs) Well, if anybody can answer this. uh, Well, we had a question on Facebook about uh, what equipment he uses to capture lightning or whatever, but uh, we'll wait for him to come back on.
0: Hey, while we're filling time, I, I just saw this come across Twitter. You know, May the third, nineteen ninety nine, was the big tornado in Moore, Oklahoma—the first of of, of uh, EF five tornado that hit Moore, Oklahoma. Today is the anniversary of the very first official tornado emergency. So, found that very interesting. Today was the kind of like the birthday. 1999 of the very first tornado warning emergency, tornado emergency.
2: And on that note, Scotty, I saw a graphic-making Facebook yesterday celebrating, I guess what is about 20 years of, of radar coverage nationwide? Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. Yeah, about early 90s, Oklahoma getting the first of the experimental ones and installing it, and I thought it was just a really good reminder of something we take for advantage advantage of today, and you know, we might forget that this wasn't always there. And really, in the grand scheme of things, is is, is still semi new. Uh, you know, we talk about radars and things that we see, things we don't see. Uh, you know, just a couple of weeks ago during coverage, we were talking about sales and how they introduce sales, and you can get lower scans more frequently. And I mean, that thing's only like two years old, sales. So yeah. it's, it's just it's it's, it's a, it was a very interesting perspective that you reminded me of. Uh, as you were talking about the first uh, tornado emergency.
0: And you know, James, we had uh, John Jensenius on with us a uh, few months ago talking about lightning, and I think that picture that Nick just showed us of, of the lightning not hitting the, the top building uh, uh, you know, is a good example of, of lightning doesn't always hit the, the tallest object. you know, And it will strike the same spot twice. Exactly, yeah, it definitely will. Yes, <laughs> it can do it ten times. So, uh,
1: Scotty, I don't know if you would uh, send Nick a quick email and let him know. (laughs) Just click the link to come back in. Um, Yeah, I'll do that. While while we're waiting, I I do want to show this, and Meredith Kennedy actually asked if I would talk about the weather for tomorrow. I did graze on a little bit, but it looks like our thunderstorm area has hatched to slight, and that goes across the mid-state down to to the lowlands. That could easily shift to the coastline. Uh, by the time we wake up to tomorrow morning, this this forecast could shift a little bit more eastward. So we'll be watching the SPC categorical outlook, categorical outlook for um, convective activity. And this, like I said, goes on for tomorrow night and into Friday morning. So you could wake up Friday morning to some residual rains and storms, maybe some squall like activity, but most of it's supposed to happen between, I would say sometime between eight and four in the morning. So we'll uh, we'll run that three kilometer. We'll run the three the NAM three K again just to get an idea of that storm line. It looks like it's fairly thin and when it comes through it's gonna be pretty powerful. And behind that we have cool west southwesterlies uh, pulling in the wraparound flow around that low. So that that's that's kind of our weather. You know, today it started out as marginal on the storm prediction center. Uh, the marginal was just hugged in along the coastline, but now they've hatched a slight and this could actually go to enhanced at some points during, in in the the mid state, maybe up across Southeast North Carolina, we may see enhanced get to those areas. So I wouldn't be surprised, but maybe a little bit too early to call that just yet.
2: And And you know, Meredith is asking, is there anything to be worried about? And I think the answer is, this is not the most serious weather outbreak we've ever seen. I think it's kind of summer like, but you know, being prepared and being aware is always good. Is that right?
1: That's right. Yeah, I think, I think lightning and strong winds will probably be our, our, Two main concerns, maybe small hail. It depends on what the SPC is seeing with the National Weather Service, Charleston, which we always tune into them. Rob Fowler, of course, you're a big fan of Rob Fowler's and all the other news guys here. Uh, We'll uh, we'll all be kind of putting in for this tomorrow to to talk about what the severe threat will be for tomorrow night. But I think right now, lightning, strong winds, possibly small hail might be the things to really watch for. I don't think we're looking at any tornadic activity. I think most of that will be pretty much. Um, located inland, maybe mid-state, there may be some some small percentage. In fact, we can go ahead and take a look at that for probabilistic. I'm going to try to go i am forgetting how to do this. <laughs> There's the categorical probabilistic.
3: Oh my
1: god.
0: <laughs> and you know
3: you.
0: And you know, Shay, it's all dependent on where that warm front moves it, into the area. Uh, James, where where you and I are, you know, we're expected to kind of be wedged in tomorrow. uh, What else is there? Yeah, right. Carolina and wedge. The Carolina wedge. But depending on how far that warm front moves, uh, the latest models are showing right around the 85 corridor, interstate 85. So along Charlotte south and east could see that severe weather threat. But that warm front moves, you know, further north to the I-40 corridor, you know, that could bring in uh, more possibility of uh, some severe weather.
2: It's like right. they put the city right there, so that we could be like, okay, so snow is going to be north of Charlotte, south of Charlotte, no snow. Uh, severe storms to the west of Charlotte, and not to the east. It's like, I swear, it's like it's like when I lived in Athens, Georgia, there was a rain bubble around the city, and, they were <laughs> and,
1: Athens, and even even the power outages sort of creep, kind of go around and and from west to east, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. It's it's um, crazy. Are we going to go back to? Like, oh, here comes Nick. I was going to ask uh, Peter about his backyard and his Nickelodeon shirt, but uh, stay tuned for Weather <laughs> Carolina Weather Group uh, After Dark. We'll talk about uh, <laughs> Peter's out, outside. I think Nick is, is reconnecting. How oh. long was I out there
4: for?
0: Oh, about 30 oh. minutes.
4: Jeez, uh, it felt <laughs> like it. Is this the twilight zone?
0: What is going on? we had to feel you know we had to feel so we're, we're good now Oh
4: boy! i was like i was like just talking about these photos and i'd kind of wait and then i'd go to the next one i'm like oh just keep talking about these photos so eventually i was like you know something doesn't seem right here
2: uh, we had you through the conversation about the <laughs> strikes of lightning about not hitting the tallest building oh boy i think we lost you somewhere
1: in there the return strokes. So I think we were ready for the next one after that. Oh jeez. Yeah.
4: Okay. So we didn't even get to see you guys didn't even get to see the rainbow.
1: Nope.
4: No. no. <laughs> oh, oh boy. Okay. All right. So so I guess we're we're good to go then, huh? What happened? Did I cut out? I don't remember doing anything.
1: It was uh, all right. James's fault. It was
4: what? James's no, fault. No, it was my fault. No, you I'll, I'll, you you could blame me. It's my first time ever doing a Google Hangout. I'm happy to take the blame.
3: No, yeah, we so, blame James. Yeah, okay. that's, fine. that's
4: fine. Well, sorry about that if I did do something, but um all right. So, all right. I'll uh, I'll, I'll, I'll restart. So, uh screen share, desktop. All right, you guys see this? Yes, we oh, do. Okay, cool. <laughs> Oh, I can't believe how much I talked before, uh, before uh, that happened.
3: Um,
4: okay, so then uh, this photo was taken about 15 minutes after the lightning strike photo. Uh, it's pretty cool because, you know, this was actually taken in late afternoon when not that many city lights were on yet, so you have this really cool uh you know mix of this darkened city almost like there was a partial power outage with this massive bolt of lightning striking and then you know 15 minutes later that storm pushes off to the east and the sun comes out and all of a sudden there's this giant double rainbow and not only was it a double rainbow but it, it started to create um a full circle uh i'd seen a couple uh circular rainbow photos before I kind of understood the the physics of it but it didn't quite dawn on me that if i was up at the hancock observatory that and you got a rainbow you would be able to see part of that circle um so i mean here you can in in the in the middle here is actually the tower's shadow uh reaching out across the lake and then eh, there's a little little bitty piece of lightning out there um in the sky over this the storm, which was on its way to Michigan as it made its way across the lake,
0: that's fascinating.
4: Yeah, it was uh, it was really it was really cool to see because um, I didn't. Let's see if I go over here and we go to a uh, chronological look. Uh, can see how it um, you know it was kind of reaching over uh, you know to the left side there. This was just another a vertical view of it because I was trying to, you know, as it was, even with my widest angle lens, I couldn't fit it all in. So, um, know, this is kind of a a cool way to see it. And then, you know, the the good thing about being on top of the building is that, uh, you know, you're able to look down, but a lot of the buildings in the area kind of unfortunately blocked, um, you know, the rest of the, the circle here in the bottom, right. But, You know, it's uh, at least it's enough of a a, a circle to kind of get the idea that hey, you know, rainbows can be circular if uh, you are above the ground and uh, you know, not looking at the horizon.
1: And they always say Um, rainbow. Each rainbow is your very own rainbow. So yeah, the really cool thing about the um, the double. I've even seen triple and quadruple rainbows in some photos where, if you look at that that first ring, the bright ring in the middle. You look at that second ring it's the inverse mm-hmm. color scheme so it, it starts out with your normal color scheme well it reverses when you go out to the second ring then it corrects itself on the third and then reverses again on the fourth so it's sort of like uh, you know mirror imaging over and over again uh, if you get the yeah, light it's a, position, so. it's pretty wild um, yeah it's like you you were the only one who could see the that
4: rainbow—it's like, does it? Does a rainbow even exist if it's not hitting your eyes? I don't know. You know, it's uh, <laughs> one of those uh, things. It's not really there if uh, you kind of think of it. In a, that might
2: in that be the most metaphorical way. thing I've ever heard of. Emotion. Yeah. thing. Does a rainbow <laughs> exist? If you're not seeing it, I don't know. I so, do want to say, Nick. I like you. Point out the uh, shadow of the tower in the middle of the photo. Yeah. I really like how it complements, like right in the middle of that circle. Hmm. Don't know if you did that on purpose or not, but if you did, I wanted to acknowledge it.
4: I Well, I you know I was thinking about that. I don't know if it could be any other way. I think right. just by the, the 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 light angle and where the sun is, it would have to be in the middle of the of the frame. I think.
1: You know, I Scotty, know. Scotty, we could we could come up with a name for that. What what we call that? Mechanical crepuscular ray.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's it. <laughs> nice. Are you just <laughs> making it we're, that we're sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, we could get real technical. That's some beautiful that's a really, really good shot there. There's a lot going on in there. It is.
0: Uh hey, Nick, and, and Nick oh, you were oh, talking I was gonna say Nick was talking about some of his equipment. I think before uh we lost you there, Peter had a question about uh some of that.
4: Sure. Um what would you uh what would you like to discuss? Anything specific or
0: uh, well,
3: we had a Facebook Live viewer ask, uh, I think it was Perry, uh, she said, what type of equipment do you use to capture lightning?
4: Um, I, I mean, really, it's a pretty basic setup, and I'll say that even though I, I use professional level stuff now, when I first started out, I was using, you know, a kind of entry level uh, DSLR and the kit lens to capture lightning. Um, I shoot an icon, but you could do this with a Canon, you could do this with a Sony, um, at least uh, you know, when we're talking about lightning uh, in particular. Uh, really all you need is a tripod, your camera with uh, you know, manual settings. I, I know people can catch lightning with an iPhone, but I'd prefer to do it with uh, something with a little more control and a little more quality. Um, and uh, a remote release, I like to use a trigger um, kind of mechanically connected to my camera, so that I can fire the shutter, you know, early and often. Because uh, really, the the trick is to just keep taking photos, and hopefully, that lightning strikes when the shutter is open. Um, a lot of people are both surprised and I think sometimes disappointed when I tell them that because it's you know I'm not I'm not getting lucky and you know just happening to push the button just as the lightning hits, but um, and sometimes I do 5, 10, 15 second exposures and as long as the lightning hits when that shutter's open you've caught it. So the goal is to just kind of keep repeating that process in hopes of you know getting that, that strike uh, where you want it to be. But yeah, um, got a little, little tangent there but your camera, wide angle lens, tripod and a remote release and you can kind of start trying to catch lightning.
2: Nick, I'm wow. curious. As a follow up to that, when you go out, how many photos are you taking? And out of that, how many photos make make the final production? Mm, I mean,
4: sometimes it's four, five hundred. It's uh, it's a little crazy. Um, you know, people have asked me to, if I do time lapse of that stuff, but I don't because I mess with settings and I adjust. Uh, I, I zoom in. I kind of I, I move the camera to where the, the camera where the storm's moving to because you have to adjust to what. You know, the, the storms are constantly changing, so I have to make a lot of adjustments, but and sometimes it could be upwards of 500 frames. Um, and it depends. I mean, there's been times where I've gotten 10 or 12 good shots. Sometimes it's two or three, and sometimes it's just it's just none. Um, you know, I've, I've gotten to the point where, like I said earlier, it's like, you know, once you learn to capture light, you know, starting when you first start out, it feels great when you can capture the lightning. and. Um, you know, I, I have plenty of shots where this lightning is kind of squiggling off the side of the frame, or it, it's not really powerful at all, and it doesn't even, like, it hardly is even as bright as this one in the middle of the screen here. Um, and you know, it's a, it seems like the more I do it, the less photos I end up getting, I think just because I'm kind of more critical of, um, you know, what I'm trying to catch. So. Uh, I hope. Uh oh. I can always go back and do uh, show some more photos, but I didn't know if I was you know taking up too much of the. Um, is that okay? There. Oh, that's yeah. really
1: cool. That's uh, yeah. I remember. I remember um, taking like a photography class in high school, and, and we used black and whites. So we developed our own film, and you know having the having the um, the sugar. What did you call it? I can't remember what it's the called. Remote
4: trigger or remote, remote trigger. release.
1: Sometimes that was that was relatively new at the time. And you know, starlight filters, like the one in that lightning shot. You know, there's all kinds of filters you could do. But uh, technology has advanced so much today. Is there are there cameras out there that just will snap the photo as soon as the smallest bit of light comes, or is there any kind of light detection that it will just? There take are a pictures. There are
4: lightning triggers. One of them is by Nero Trigger. And they actually they sent me a couple to to try, and I was supposed to you know give them a favorable review and you know a review in exchange for the product, and um, it uh, didn't really work that well. And I'm I think it's possible um, there were a lot of misfires. I got some good ones. So it would work on some some lightning bolt. Sometimes it wouldn't, but there are a lot of misfires where all of a sudden it would start taking a frame and it would just keep taking a frame. And I don't know if that's because it was reacting to the lights in the city. You know, maybe if you're in a rural area that's really dark, you know, when there's a really well-defined light point of light, it would work well every time and wouldn't misfire. Um, but yes, it, the technology does exist, but at least the few times I've used it, um, it hasn't been worth it for me. I'd rather just, you know, memory cards are so big these days that you, you could just keep taking photos and then, you know, it kind of almost guarantees you, you'll get something as opposed to hoping the technology works
1: when it needs to. Sure beats going into the dark room and hoping that you get it all right and maybe just maybe you got a shot.
4: I can't even imagine (laughs) I can't imagine how many rolls of film, you know, that would be like how many rolls of film it would take to get, um, you know, that one shot. Oh, this was a photo. I was going to, I was probably talking about, uh, before we uh, got cut off earlier.
0: I love this photo. This is pretty cool.
4: Yeah. That was a a really, a really wicked day. Um, Halloween, 2014, uh, God, it was probably like 38 degrees or it was grapple and you know some sleet falling and just these really powerful winds coming straight out of the north and you know carrying the full fetch of the lake and you know when that happens all this water piles up on this you know the southern tip of lake michigan and you get these big waves crashing um i have some more somewhere um yeah i don't know if this Quite tells the scale of the height of the waves, but um, it was a it was a really crazy day
1: to be out um, near near the lake. We call that a uh, witch of November. Ah, November witches. Yeah, there's Great Lakes and uh, where those waves peak up, they they yeah. they splash together and peak up. They look like witches' hats, so they they named it the witches of November.
4: Uh, very interesting.
0: There's one more. This one right here. I, I love this picture too.
4: Yeah, that was, um, that was kind of like the underside of the shelf cloud. I guess uh, what's that was at the whale's mouth when you're looking at the kind of the inside of the the cloud as it rolls yeah. by. Um, what What's cool about this one, and it might not matter to you guys because um, you're not necessarily familiar with the city, but where the light's coming from is off to the right. That's... Um, that's the East. So this is actually a really pretty early morning storm coming through. Um, so it's just kind of interesting to see the light, um, you know, coming under the, this under the, the clouds from that particular side of the frame, or at least relative to where I'm standing, but yeah, it rolled over, um, pretty quickly. And, uh, this was, uh, this is actually, my building, but the other side, you know, this is one of those times where I was able to call on a friend and get to a more favorable, uh, shooting position because, uh, from my balcony, this would not have been quite as impressive.
0: And then this one, I think just kind of summarizes your winter time there in Chicago. Yeah. That was the one
4: I, I started going into detail about too. Uh, so yeah, that was, uh, it was, um, in January of 2014, we, uh, Nicknamed it Siberia because of how cold it was. I think uh, I think the low was negative twenty nine, but with the wind chill, it was near negative forty five, negative fifty. I'd never uh, experienced cold like that before. Even the, the the few cold snaps we've had since didn't feel quite um, quite as cold as it did, but. Yeah, this is where you can kind of see the that sea smoke coming up off the lake. Uh, that Arctic air came in so quickly that um, even in January, the sometimes when the lake is completely frozen over, you know, you won't get the sea smoke and the lake effect snow stops because once you know uh, once it's frozen over, you don't have the the water interacting with the air to kind of create that snow, but. In this case, it was, it got super cold super quick and there was still enough uh, water exposed to the air that you can get this uh, this effect. And I think, um, I, you know, I've tried to talk to a few other people about it. At first I thought it was ice crystals that froze, but then I was told it's actually uh, super cooled water. So it is actually very fine water droplets that haven't yet frozen. So, um, you know, I'm not sure which is which yet, but, either of them seem to make sense whenever someone who seems smarter than I tells me.
0: And then, and then this is the last one that, uh, yeah. that that really caught my attention. This is something that you see in the Midwest, Oklahoma, Kansas, even where you guys are in Illinois. This is a, this is a Supercell thunderstorm. This We don't see this in the
3: Southeast. That's,
1: that is a <laughs> true, true mothership right there. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So uh, th- this is, for all those who are watching tonight here in the Southeast, this is what Supercell... Storms look like out in the Midwest. <laughs> I mean, talk to us a little bit about this one.
4: Yeah, this one. Um, I can uh, actually, I, if I can uh, do the screen share, I can click over and yeah. show you a couple more frames from uh, this particular storm. Uh oh. Um, okay. You guys seeing that all right? Hello?
1: Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, yes. Okay. No, I, okay um, cool. You know. Mm-hmm.
4: So this um, this was one of the first frames I took. Well, I shouldn't say it was one of the first frames. It was one of the first frames that I really liked because the lightning wasn't. Um, it, it was actually really pretty intense, and the lightning was going off pretty uh, incessantly. But this was one of the the first frames that I got that you know everything came together. We had the interior of the cloud illuminated, that bolt coming off, and then you had this gnarly looking scud cloud um, down uh towards the ground and i think if this was probably tornado warned or at least a tornado watch on this particular night but what was great for me is that it was far enough away that it didn't rain a drop um, by me uh, but it was close enough that you could see the overall system without it being too far away you know sometimes you see these thunderstorms that are 40 50 60 miles away and um you just you know, the lightning of it it's 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 too faint and too distant for good photos but this was sort of the I guess you could call it the perfect storm um, of of situations just because of the distance to the viewer and the the strength and intensity and then you know, the, the photo you showed here's a, a, a zoomed in shot that I took of that that storm top and uh, you kind of have that little bolt of lightning squiggling out there but Yeah, this was a really, really cool one because I'd never seen anything like that before and I really haven't seen anything like that since. Um, You know, while it's true here in the Midwest, we do get those mothership-looking storms, not so much up up, uh, north by us in Chicago. Uh, I feel like it's a little bit further south uh, in Illinois where you see those more and obviously go even further south and southwest, you know, that's where the you know the motherland is for motherships, but uh, you know I would love to get a few more of these up in this area. But it was really, really fun to watch because they I feel like the, even even a lot of the shelf clouds we get, um, they're a little more ragged. They're not quite as like well manicured and um, you know the, and smoothly striated as uh, this particular storm was.
2: Nick, I wanted to ask you as we're coming up on the nine o'clock Eastern hour. Sure. Had the chance to visit Weather Geeks. Yes, I wanted to hear about your experience to the Weather Channel and with uh, Dr. Marshall Shepard and any tales you had to to share with us. Man, it was
4: a that was a really fun experience. Uh, You know, when they reached out to me, I was a little anxious. I was like, "This is you guys really want me to come on like fly out to Atlanta and be on uh, the Weather Channel?" Um, But they did, and it was a really great experience. Dr. Shepard's awesome. Um, I, I was pretty closely connected with Mike Chesterfield, one of the producers there. He's from Chicago. He really admired my work, so I think he was kind of my in <laughs> end to the show. He wanted to. He wanted to get me on it for a while, apparently. Um, but it was a great experience, and uh, you know it was fun to talk about my photos. But uh, what was even cooler is that we filmed two shows that night. So we filmed my show, but Lee Orff um, filmed his show. So I got to saw, see his uh, Tornado Genesis simulations on like the big video wall and you know, those, were, those were some really cool visuals and it was cool to talk with him about what he does because it was uh, uh you, know, I, I, you know, I take photos of stuff but you know, what he's able to do with uh, weather data and translating that into what is all, for all intents and purposes, a, a, a virtual tornado that he was able to make using data and physics is really special.
0: And so, Nick, I know uh, you're you're Chicago. You know, you like to do a lot of your photography around home. But if the chance was given to you to go out to Oklahoma for a week and and photograph uh, tornadoes and go on a storm chase, would you jump on that opportunity?
4: I would. I would. I I really want to do it. Uh, And, you know, the opportunity hasn't really presented myself, but it's tough for me to travel this time of year because um, you know, so much of my professional work is tied to the, the good weather in Chicago. So it's hard to plan a, like a summer or spring vacation because this is uh, this is my busy season. So I, I hope that someday it all works out perfectly. Because uh, you know, I I I've got lightning, I got mammoth clouds, I have shelf clouds. Uh, I don't have a tornado, um, and that would be you know that would be really awesome especially one of those like pancake super cells you know that, that stuff that we just don't get here you know it's I've gotten all I think I can uh, in this part of the Midwest but to really uh, you know head to the southwest and catch some of those big ones that would be that would be really awesome.
0: Yeah and um, you know you, you have a good we had a our, our guest last week was actually uh, from the Chicago area Victor Genesini uh, Dr. Victor Genesini so he cool. said us last week that he does. Uh, they do uh, trips out to the Midwest in, in May and June, so you and Victor can hook up and go. To Is he out at a uh, college Page? Yes, sir. I, yes.
4: Yeah, they, they do. Yeah, I know they do. Um, they do the chase uh, every year. My cousin, it's like my second cousin. She uh, she went through the meteorology program, and I didn't know she went on one of those chases, and um, yeah, I was really jealous. Of uh, maybe I should connect with them and see. Like, hey, want to take a photographer along with you? See what uh, see what I can arrange. They, you know, they would love can, to. They would love to
1: take you. I'm sure.
4: If I can plan it far enough in advance, you know, I could always push off client work. And you know, if it's uh, one of those things that I have, like you know, in the in the calendar a couple months before spring and summer starts, it's a lot easier to work around. But yeah, it's uh, that's you know that's a, that's pretty much uh, you know the, the dream of mine. So hopefully someday soon.
0: Well, Nick, we're a little bit past the top of the hour. I had one more question for you. Sure, hey, whatever, my pleasure. I I didn't want to. Don't we don't want to take up your entire evening, but it's uh, all good.
4: It's only eight o'clock here, you know. So,
0: for uh, for our viewers who are watching tonight, maybe they're interested in storm chasing or or maybe even doing a little photography of their own. What would you suggest for for beginners to uh, to get started in this? Hmm. Um,
4: you know, I really think you just have to take a lot of photos. Um, Equipment-wise, like we talked earlier, a, a tripod and a remote release is really important because that the tripod is, you know, necessary, especially if you're taking photos of lightning in the late afternoon or night because when you're doing uh, multiple-second exposures, you know, any movement of the camera is going to uh, cause blur or kind of like, you will know, you know, it'll be a shaky photo. So, you know, get a sturdy camera or a sturdy tripod. Um, you know, you could buy a $20 one, but it's going to wobble. It's probably going to break. And especially if you're shooting, uh, trying to shoot a storm and it's windy, you know, it's really going to wobble. So your long exposures aren't going to be as sharp as you'd like. So invest in a good heavy duty tripod now. Um, and you'll have it for years and your photos will be a lot sharper. So that's kind of a I guess a, a pretty good thing to keep in mind if you're starting out storm photography. Um, and again, uh, you know, take a ton of photos. I know it can be, um, you know, it can, it can be mind-numbing sometimes waiting for that bolt to strike. But, uh, you know, when it does, you know, sometimes you get that burst of adrenaline. It makes those 400 frames of, you know, plain gray sky totally worth it.
0: Awesome. Well, guys, uh, James, Shay, Peter, do you guys have any other questions as uh, we close, uh, begin to close the show?
1: Nope, none at all. Just um, unless James, if you have anything, I'm I'm okay. Uh, I would, Nick, tell us a little bit about how we can find you on social media, or how our viewers can find you, and uh, maybe your Twitter, Facebook, any any kind of handles that you have.
4: Yeah, sure. My Twitter handle is shyphotoguy. C H I P H O T O G U Y. My Facebook page is nu photography, so that's pretty easy. Um, and my Instagram handle is nick underscore Uliveri, uh, Last name is spelled U L I V I E R I. I have a website too, but I think I post all my. You know, that's more so for professional work but all my uh, all the fun stuff gets posted to social media before it ever makes it to my website anyway
0: awesome well nick we appreciate you uh, coming on tonight and uh maybe we can have you back going uh, sometime in the near future and kind of uh yeah. look at some new photographs that you've got yeah, hopefully i can hopefully
4: i can share some uh, tornado shots with you next time and i won't hopefully i won't press the wrong button or whatever <laughs> happened there and you won't have to kill 20 minutes of time
0: uh, it's okay we we have got used to technology and all it's uh crazy. <laughs> so we appreciate you having uh being on hey. with us stick around we'll, we'll thank you after the show so uh, cool. we appreciate you uh nick coming on tonight next week um guys i i was kind of left hanging i don't know for what our next week show is i know ricky uh said that we may have to uh reschedule that so Uh, We are expecting to talk with uh, several meteorologists out of the state of Georgia about the severe weather that's affected them uh, over the past couple of months. So uh, that is what's on tap. I'm not sure if that's going to continue. I just seen uh, in our little group chat that we may have to reschedule that. So uh, besides that, uh, Shay, you uh, have been in contact with our good buddy Levi Cowan, and it looks like he's going to be joining us for a hurricane show.
1: That's right. Wednesday, May the seventeenth, eight p.m. Eastern Time. We will have uh, Levi Cowan of Tropical Tidbits come on, talk about her, the upcoming hurricane season and what his thoughts are on what to expect. So there's there's a lot to cover there. He gets it uh, gets pretty technical. So if uh, if you're really into tropical meteorology and you're or just just fascinated with it, uh, it, it's it'd be helpful to join in, ask lots of questions. He's always you know very happy to answer. But we'll be talking about El Nino. Are we going to have a return of El Nino this year? It looks favorable. In fact, the water's are warming up now. It looks like um, anonymously warm waters are starting to become more of a factor for El Nino. Um, but, yeah, we would expect to stay neutral through, through at least late summer, maybe fall. But, yeah, we'll have to wait and see what happens. But that could mean some significance for the Pacific, uh, maybe a quieter Atlantic. We still have yet to hear from NOAA on their hurricane predictions. We've heard from some institutions like NCAR, uh, I believe, um, oh, who else is it? Uh, a couple of other places that they, they've, they've put out their hurricane forecast season. Weather Bell, Weather Bell put out theirs. And uh, so everybody's calling for a, an average to below average so far. So we'll wait to see what NOAA says. That should be coming out sometime in the next couple of weeks, I believe. They usually come out in May uh, ahead of uh, the hurricane season, which starts June the 1st and last year, November the 30th. For the 2017 hurricane season. So we've already had one that was Tropical Storm Arlene that developed out in the Atlantic and, and kind of an interesting latitude. So the next one's going to be Brett that forms, and we'll have to wait and see what happens.
0: And Shay, talking about hurricanes, I've uh, been emailing uh, the hur- National Hurricane Center back and forth today. We're hoping to get uh, someone on from the National Hurricane Center in June, I think June the 21st, to kind of talk about uh, what they expect the hurricane season to be like. So be watching for that. Uh, Jim Williams from hurricanecity.com will be joining us at the end of May, May 31st. Uh, He's got a list of about 10 to 15 cities that – have him concerned about possible hurricane hits. It's been a while for those cities. So uh, Jim's going to join us and kind of talk about uh, what all he puts into his side and how he determines which cities are more at risk than others. So uh, looks like we're going to be heading into your time of the season, Shay, tropical season. So. Yeah.
1: Well, I hope we don't have any landfalls like we did last year. We had last year it was kind of messy in the Southeast several systems hang up here. And then we had uh, one hurricane hit, Florida and another one hit the East Coast, and it, it's kind of a mess in the Southeast overall. So we were hoping for something not quite, quite like that. But if we if we move in, bam! Yeah, if we move more favorable towards El Nino, chances are less likely. Last year we were coming out of El Nino into more of a neutral phase and towards La Nina, but um, it's it's tough. It's tough to say because there's been a lot of little tricks and there's a lot of waving going on in the in the upper jet right now. Uh, that looks like things will will be rather unsettled for some time. So I don't see any tropical activity developing anytime soon. There's too much shear and too many systems coming and going from west to east. Uh, Sometimes we get a couple in May and eh, a couple tropical storms right before Memorial Day weekend. Uh, We've seen that happen before, but it looks like things will be fairly steady for basically one severe event after another coming across the United States. I would say for at least next couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, I agree. So, everyone, thanks for watching tonight with the Carolina Weather Group. Uh, we appreciate you watching. We'll uh, stay tuned to our social media accounts. We'll kind of let you know what's going on next week uh, with uh, with the pending show. And if not, we just may be here to talk a little bit. So, uh, thanks for watching tonight. We really appreciate Nick coming on. So, make sure you to go visit his website and his social media accounts. And uh, we'll see you next week. Have a great weekend.